If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I want you to meet Henry Schuck, co-founder and CEO and chairman of ZoomInfo, the intelligence platform that is revolutionizing how software and data can unlock opportunity in sales, marketing, and recruiting. Henry founded what was formerly known as Discover Org back in 2007 from his law school dorm. He led ZoomInfo as it became the first tech company to go public during the COVID-19 pandemic. Including the company's acquisition of Zoom Information in 2019, he has overseen almost 15 acquisitions in total. Prior to founding ZoomInfo, Henry led research and marketing at iProfile, a sales intelligence firm. Henry graduated cum laude from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and holds a JD cum laude from Ohio State. He was named a Fortune's 40 Under 40 Class of 2020 list. And with that, let's welcome Henry. Hi, Henry. Happy to have you here. First of all, thank you so much for joining uh, me here today. I'm really happy to have you. And I just want to kind of start from the beginning, which is what is Zoom Info in your own words? Yeah, great. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to be here. Today, what Zoom Info is, is a modern go-to-market platform. And so really what that means is that we provide salespeople and marketing people the data and technology and software that they need to identify their next best customer, to engage with that next best customer, and then to have the analytics and reporting to know where their messaging is falling short, where it's landing, and then to continuously build up lookalike audiences of of the people and the companies where that messaging is landing and really accelerate growth for those companies, for our clients. I wanna go back to 2007. What was the aha moment? And walk us through those early days of starting a business. And obviously, you merged later into ZoomInfo. So give us a little bit of the high-level narrative. I founded the company uh, with a friend of mine in 2007. Uh, We had actually worked for a similar company in college uh, called iProfile. And I took a job after my first year in the dorms. I had no money left. Uh, found this job at this really early entrant in the SaaS space. And they, was, they were selling access to an online database of uh, decision makers in the information technology departments of Fortune 500 companies. It was myself and the owner or the CEO. We grew the business from 300,000 in revenue in 2002 to about 5 million in revenue in 2006. But it was 5 million in revenue and kind of $4.8 million in profitability. And so there wasn't much of a business there. I left, I went to law school, and one year in, founded Discover Org to do something that was similar but focused on a different area in the market. So no big, like, uh, aha moment. It was more like I saw a business that was running that was under-optimized. I thought we could do it a lot better. And so we set off to do that and sort of help marketers and salespeople with the same problem, but focused not on the Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000, although over time we got there, originally focused on the mid-market. What we learned was 
inside of the most sophisticated companies that exist, they do not organically own a database of their best clients, of who they should be prospecting to, of people moving from job to job. And so what we were able to do is build a highly accurate data asset of companies and the decision makers at those companies and then provide that to sellers and marketers. That's how it got started. ZoomInfo has been described as a revenue operating system. Again, you have a product that's a Rolodex basically in the cloud. Walk us through what the product experience looks like for companies who could use ZoomInfo right now today. Yeah, so it, it starts with that concept of a Rolodex in the cloud, and then we built an application layer on top of that, that data asset. So at the foundational level, we cover about 150 million companies and about 200 million business professionals who work at those companies. So that's the foundational data layer. So imagine I'm a seller or a marketer and I I say, you know what, my best clients are uh, healthcare companies that are in California, Nevada, and Washington with at least 100 employees. And within those companies, I target the chief information officer, the VP of IT, the director of IT. So first at the foundational layer, we provide that information. And all the way downstream, it could, you could be targeting dry cleaning uh, companies in the Northwest and everything in between. So number one, I need to know who the companies are that I'm targeting and then who are the business professionals at those companies that make the decisions about my products and services. If I have that, then I need to know how to engage with them. And so do I have the data to connect with them um, through a display ad network using ads or through email or through outbound cold calling or, or outreach? Now, if I have all of that, it's oftentimes a very big universe. And so what we layer on top of that sort of total addressable market that our customers are looking at is information about which companies within that target are currently in market for their products or services. And so that starts for us uh, with website visitor identification. We've built uh, an incredibly robust IP to company graph so that we can tell you with high, high accuracy the people and the companies that are visiting your website and the people at those companies who would be buyers of your products and services. This is super valuable because of the visitors to your website today, one or two out of a hundred of them will identify themselves, fill out a form and request for you to connect with them. The other 98, 99 of them are just anonymous. We can tell you which companies those are now. And then we can tell you the people at those companies who make decisions about your products and services. And so now I can start being really specific about how I do my outreach if I'm a seller or I'm a marketer. We go a step further there and we also provide uh, B2B intent data. And so that's data on what companies are researching on the B2B web at elevated levels. And so, hey, I sell um, cybersecurity software. I want to know every company in my total addressable market that's doing an inordinate amount of research on cybersecurity. I want to know the right decision makers at those companies, and I want to target them. And then the next level of intelligence we layer on top of that are projects and initiatives that we've identified that are actually taking place at those companies within your total addressable market? Who's got spending initiatives that are happening within the next six, 12 months that you should be engaging with? And so we take that total addressable market and we narrow it down on the people who are most interested in your products and services right now. And then we give you a layer of software to actually engage with them um, through email, through display ads, through social media ads, through marketing automation, through sales automation, or directly inside of your CRM. 
we fast forward a decade, how will data and automation impact how go-to-market teams work? What do you think, if you fast forward a decade, is possible? I think what you're seeing is more and more possible today, but will be table stakes 10 years from now, is the ability to take a signal and then orchestrate a go-to-market motion behind it, which today is difficult, to say the least. But for example, if you go into any company today and you go sit down with the best sales rep, you just go find them at the company and you say, hey, tell me what works best for you. That best sales rep will have some kind of clever motion that he or she runs that gets them in front of the right buyers at the right time. It could be as simple as saying, hey, when I see that a company is hiring for this role and it says this in the job description, I know I have to be talking to that company and then I run a concentrated motion behind that. I know when a a company hires a new chief marketing officer that they're most likely to want to buy my products or services. I know that when a company does M&A, opens a new location, is researching my products or services, I know that when a user of our products and services leaves their company and goes to a new company, that they're most likely to buy my products and services. And so what I see 10 years from now is bringing together all of these signals and then building coordinated motions behind those signals. You know, signal says new chief marketing officer hired. What's the play I'm going to run? I'm going to put display ads. I'm going to do social media ads. I'm going to get in front of them through email. I'm going to have an SDR call them. I'm going to invite them to a thought leadership summit. Whatever that play is, the idea of taking signals that you know are important to your customers and your prospects and then orchestrating an automated go-to-market motion behind them, that is absolutely the future. And there are very few companies that are doing this at scale in a centralized way. Today, we, you know, we have 25,000 plus customers. I see a handful of them really orchestrating this motion the right way. It's, but what you do see is more and more technologies becoming available for you to be able to do this. And more and more companies hiring titles like revenue operations, go-to-market operations, go-to-market strategy, more and more investment behind sales operations. And those pieces of the go-to-market puzzle are going to drive real automated outreach based on key signals that are happening on your own website, but also out in the B2B world. You took your company public literally in one of the wildest and weirdest times that we've all lived in human history. What was that like? What went through your head? We spent the year before um, March of 2020 gearing up to go public. And what that meant was we were on the road meeting with investors, investment banks were taking us to New York and Boston and Chicago and San Francisco, putting us in front of potential investors and having us tell our story about what made the company interesting and why they should be investors. The original IPO date was actually March 23rd, 2020, which, you know, if you remember back to March, 2020, that was like right smack in the middle of all of the lockdowns. So I'm ready to IPO. We're, ready, we're all ready to IPO. And all the bankers just tell us like, no, that's, it's, it's a, no one can IPO in this market. So we sat back, we focused on the business. And kind of a month later, uh, we were checking in with the bankers, checking in on the volatility index um, to see if there was going to be an opening. And at one of our meetings, our lead director on our board said, you know, why wait till July? Why don't we be first? And, you know, the thought had crossed people's minds. Like, why, why not 
open up the public market. But I think most of us thought, well, let's let somebody else go first and then we'll see how it plays out and we can decide if we want to go after. But everybody around us said, you know, this is a great company to open up the public markets. It's growing, it's profitable. Um, we need somebody in that seat that has the right metrics. Uh, and this is an interesting business in software because we're growing the top line plus 50%. And we're doing it with next to 40% operating margins. And you don't see that you know, hardly ever with software companies. And so we said, okay, well, let's go figure that out then. And so we IPO June 4th, 2020. We just, first real fully virtual IPO. Didn't meet any investors in person, did it all from my office in Vancouver, Washington, which was great because usually the way IPOs work is that you go on a 10-day road trip all across the country, sleep in random hotels, you have to have dinners with investment bankers, God bless them, every night. Instead, I got to do it in my house, finish the day. My daughter and my wife were outside. There were sunny days in Portland. And so ultimately, like a pretty great uh, outcome for us. And we IPO June 4th, opened back up the markets. I hear today people are saying, like, who is going to be the next Zoom Info in these markets? Because these markets are obviously incredibly choppy and IPOs have been put on hold. Um, so someone, someone's gonna, someone is in the same position right now where they're planning on IPOing. The markets got really choppy and volatile. And someone out there is sitting there going, like, should we be the first? I'll tell you, it was a great experience because there was nothing happening in the business news that day. And so we were the big story of what was going on. In the subsequent year, you know, you had weeks where seven, eight companies IPO'd and you kind of got lost in the shuffle. But June 4th, nothing else was going on. We were the big story. I think we benefited a lot from that. Your team has tripled in size over these past two years, growing to 3,000 employees. Can you just give us a few of your pointers of growing teams rapidly? Clearly, you have some rules of like how to do that well and thoughtfully. Just give us a sense of your playbook. Yeah, so this is an interesting question because there are more people who work at Zoom Info today than uh, were here at the IPO two years ago, which means there are more people who've never been in a Zoom Info office than there are people who have been in one. Um, so it's a really unique universe we live in today. Uh, I'll tell you, a couple of months ago, I was hearing all sorts of feedback from our HR teams about what millennials wanted in a workplace. What did millennials care about? What did they want? And I never felt like it was landing for me. I am technically a geriatric millennial, I think is what it's called. Um, and so what I said was, let me go talk to the people who we've hired in the last year. Let's get a couple roundtables together. And I want to try to understand from them why they came to work at Zoom Info. And so I sat down within a number of roundtables and we asked them and nine out of 10 of the employees that we've hired over the last year came in and said, I wanted to grow professionally. I wanted to grow personally. The last job that I was at, I felt stuck. I wasn't making an impact anymore. I wasn't learning anymore. I wasn't growing anymore. And the idea that Zoom Info was a company that was fast paced and offered a bunch, a lot of opportunity for professionals to grow that, that it was really mobile. So there was a lot of career mobility at Zoom Info. Today, uh, we have two and a half times the career mobility of our SaaS peers. That was what drew me to the place. The one out of 10 other were salespeople and they said, I came here for the money, which is great too. But the, the nine out of 10 of, the, of our staff said, I came here to grow. And so really, as we grow the company, we make it really clear to the people that we're recruiting 
Uh, we make it really clear on our careers page. We make it really clear when we go out and our employees refer candidates to us that this is a place you come when you're looking for professional growth. What that also does for us is it filters the population to this really unique set of individuals, people who don't have a fixed mindset, who believe in improving and learning and getting better, people who literally will leave their jobs because they're not getting that. That's a great recruiting method, a great way to get really talented, hardworking, ambitious people into your company. But then it becomes incumbent on us to make sure we're delivering on that promise, that we're investing in those employees, that we're giving them opportunities to learn and get involved in new challenges and experiences at the company. And so I'm really focused now on making sure that those 3,000 employees, that we're living up to our promise of growth to them through uh, investment in their uh, careers, investment in uh, leadership development and coaching and new opportunities across the company, we're really focused on making sure we're being true to that promise. But that is the secret in our ability to grow our staff and then grow a company efficiently is that you look for people who really want to grow and then you give them opportunities to do just that. Zoom Info as it sits today was a merger of Discover Org and Zoom Info coming together and it has turned out beautifully. Any tips on just what you've learned from going through that? You know, it's interesting when you do M&A because uh, you come into a company generally, uh, especially in the big transformative ones, that has woken up every day before that day trying to figure out how to beat you. And you've woken up every day uh, before that day trying to figure out how to beat them. And then you have this challenge in front of you to take a bunch of people who've spent the last decade or more thinking about how to outflank you, outsmart you, build better product than you, and then put these two companies together to march towards something much bigger. I think that what the biggest thing that I've learned in doing this, regardless of how big, how sophisticated, how great you think your company is, there's almost certainly people at the other company that you're acquiring that are doing things better than you are. And if you're not really open to identifying those areas and then giving them key leadership roles and, and, and responsibilities in the new organization, you're just missing out on a huge piece of value from M&A. For us in the Zoom Info acquisition, we inherit, I worked really hard to build a great engineering culture at Discover Org. I could never do it. I never had a great engineering team. I never had a great product team. I just, I just never did it. And if the, the last day of Discover Org was the day that we acquired Zoom Info, building a great engineering team would never be part of my legacy. And we inherited this incredible engineering team. And even though we were the acquiring company, we had to go, you know what? We're acquiring this business, but their engineering leadership is now in charge of the combined engineering teams. And that felt weird and uncomfortable to our existing leaders, our existing engineering teams. The ones who were clear-eyed and open-minded about it saw it and went, yep, that makes sense. And so I think going into these situations, being open-minded about finding areas of opportunity to inherit, you're not the smartest person in the room. Oftentimes, the other room has a lot smarter people in a lot different areas than you. And inheriting that and bringing in and doing that has created a lot of value for our business. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. 
Cardin knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Okay, Henry, I want to transition a little bit to you. Tell us about who you were growing up and did you always know you want to be a founder? One of my favorite facts about you is um, that you've always been very vocal about is you were raised by a single mom in California who worked three jobs just to support your family. I was also raised at some point by a single mom, so um, a lot of respect there. Um, but you as a child, was this the obvious outcome where you are today? Yeah, probably not. Now, I haven't always been vocal about this, by the way. Like, I didn't ever talk about this until February of 2019 when I first sort of said anything publicly about it. And it was right after the college cheating scandal really broke the news. And I really felt when that happened that people were going to lose faith in the American dream, basically, that if you were watching that go on, you probably, even before you saw that happen, you probably believed that people with money had significant advantages over people who didn't grow up with money. But you probably, if you were successful, also convinced yourself that working really, really hard could even the playing field. And I think when that story broke, it kind of told you like, maybe that's not true. Maybe they actually not only have an ad a significant advantage over you, but it's not one you can catch up to. And no one really catches up to it anymore. It was basically the crux of, I think, how people viewed that. And I was telling my wife about it. And I said, you know, maybe I should share my story more. I never share my story. And she said, you absolutely should share your story more. Um, I always had the feeling that people who shared those types of stories were like brand builders. And that wasn't what I was. I'm building a business. That's what I'm focused on doing. But I started talking about that. You know, I, I grew up with a single mom. She worked three jobs, uh, shared a bedroom with my sister. I think that I started sharing that story because I wanted people to see like that part of the American dream is still achievable. You still can work really hard and commit to self-improvement and basically defy odds, even regardless of where you came from. So I don't think that this outcome for myself was uh, predictable. I did believe for, a, you know, I think a number of reasons growing up that I was going to be successful and that I could accomplish anything that I put my mind to. I think growing up, I had a bunch of scenarios where I worked really hard and then I achieved an outcome as a result of that hard work. And then I worked really hard again. I achieved a great outcome from that hard work. And it made me believe in exactly that, that if you worked really hard, that you could achieve any outcome you set your mind to. And so I believed that I would be successful, but I don't think I ever really wrapped my mind around, you know, could I run a 3,000 employee publicly traded company? I want to ask, um, because I feel like we'd be remiss not to give your mom a shout out. Yeah. Was there something that mom did that you remember that you think really made you special or that like really resonates deeply today? I think one, my mom was an incredibly hard worker. She never complained about the amount of hours that she had to put in. She just asked that on the flip side that we were also going to be committed to school and we would go to college and that we would also work hard in our academic endeavors. 
Um, and so I think that was really important. I think growing up, I also had a number of teachers who just made me believe that anything I wanted to do was accomplishable. And so I think the combination of those two things uh, really, you know, allow you to think a lot bigger. How have you stayed motivated this long? I feel like that's a really important kernel for me that we all need to hear. I think I'm motivated because I know we and I haven't met my potential and our potential. And when that might just sound like self-help gobbledygook, but in reality, like I come in every day and there's a number of challenges in front of our business that we haven't solved. There are a number of departments you could go into and walk out and being like, and be like, you know what? That department could be materially improved. And I know what those areas are. And so as long as I feel that way, and I think I'll feel that way forever, but as long as I feel that way, I feel challenged to come in and improve those areas of the business that are not best in class. So every day I come in going like, which parts of the business are not best in class and how do I improve them to a place where they actually are? That's challenging and fulfilling to accomplish and see improvement across. And I just think this company now has a tremendous amount of resources behind it and a tremendous market and opportunity in front of it. And I want to come in every day and take as much of that market opportunity as possible until it doesn't exist anymore. And um, I'm pretty sure that it's going to consistently exist for a really long time. What do you hold as sacred? I feel like the best founders have something that truly is sacred to you. What is it? Not, I'm not talking family. I mean, business-wise. It probably has to be improvement. I don't think anything is particularly at its end state today. And I'll give you an example of how this manifests. We hired a new head of uh, account management, manage all of our client business. His first quarter, full quarter in, we do a monthly operating review where we sit down, we review how the, the month and the quarter went. This was the end of the quarter. They delivered a really great quarter. We sat down, went through all the metrics. There are a number of areas we didn't do very well on. We walked out of the meeting and he came over to me on our way out of the meeting and he's like, well, you're welcome for a great quarter. And I went, well, it's never not going to be like that. Like great quarter, bad quarter, we're always going to be looking for opportunities to improve. And so I would get really comfortable with the idea that we're constantly going to push on areas that we think are not perfectly optimized and need improvement, regardless of how well the results turn out. And so people want feed, they say they want feedback. And then when they get it, they oftentimes don't receive it in the best way. That's somewhat... Uh, incumbent on you to deliver it in a really great way too. But I think improvement is something that I think is core to who we are as a business, absolutely sacred to um, how we run the company. What keeps you sane? You've been doing this for so long. You've been running a marathon for 15 years. You have family, you have life, you have so many things going on. What are your tricks for just staying on the track? Okay. So one, I exercise every single day and I don't think I could be a normal person if I didn't. By the way, you know, if you meet me, it's not going to look like I exercise every single day. I do like 30, 35 minutes, keeps my head on right. Uh, makes me feel like a different person in my body every day. So exercise is a key one. I've been reading this book called The Happiness Advantage which basically says that being happy is the biggest advantage in business. One of the key parts about it is this gratitude journaling, which is interesting, and I've heard it a lot of ways, but the way that it was most compelling is this. If every day you sit down and you gratitude journal for two minutes, you think back 24 hours, 
and you scan the day to find the key meaningful moments in your day that you're thankful for and have gratitude for. Well, if you do that for 21 days, your brain actually creates a background scanning application, essentially, that is just doing that in real time. And so now, all of a sudden, in real time, your your brain is noticing these key moments, these key meaningful moments that you're grateful for. And that's one of the key things that drives your happiness. Turns out, if you're happier, you drive more engaged teams, you're more productive, your companies grow better. And of all of the things that we look for to gain advantage about our time, how to be more productive, how to gain the next advantage in your business, being happy is the most valuable one. And you get to be happier too. So it's like a great outcome for everybody. Okay. I want to quickly move to this quick fire round. And I want you to just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, What gets you out of bed every morning? The opportunity to fix problems in the business. Your best interview question, if you want to get to the heart of who somebody is, what do you ask them? I probably ask them what their routine is like. What was your biggest pinch me moment to date at ZoomInfo? Like the day where you went home and said, I can't believe that just happened. What was it? Definitely IPO day was the biggest pinch me moment. It was like a lot of professional validation. I had a lot of financial validation and success, but that moment meant a lot of professional validation. Fast forward two years, how many days a week will people go into offices, do you think? So two years from now. Probably three, two to three. Other than Zoom Info or other than something in your category, what is another area of innovation that your mind is electrified by, that you just truly are really fascinated by? The brain happiness stuff, meditation, you know, all of that part of evolving yourself is, I think, really fascinating. Henry, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, um, if you haven't already, please check out zoominfo.com. And let's thank Henry for all of his incredible work. We're rooting for you. You can join us next week for Ain't the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. And for today, let's thank Henry for all of the true joy he just shared with us. Thank you, Alexa. Thank you, everybody. 